Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the investment landscape in Africa and will discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal-making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In this episode, Walea Jenny, Head of Africa Venture Capital Investing at IFC, Halid Benjilani, Senior Partner at Africa Invest, Mauricio Cayo, founder and managing partner at Telcom Capital, Nena Nkongo, principal at Digame, Elisa Thomas, founder and managing director at Samata Capital, examine how COVID-19 has impacted Africa's venture capital industry. The session, moderated by Christophe Biernot, Chief Executive Officer at Africa Arena, is part of AFCA's 2020 focus series, launched in June 2020. Uh, we're now going to talk about the future and uh, the impact that COVID-19 has had on our industry. So to, to talk about this, I'd like to welcome a, a, a very impressive uh, lineup of speakers. Um, so ladies first, um, we are very pleased to uh, welcome the amazing Nena Nkongo. Uh, Nena is based in Nigeria. She has an extensive career in um, investment banking at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, in the U.S., working for corporate Etisalat, and she was on the board of Get Smarter, which is one of the largest exits in South Africa. And she's currently principal at Digam, which is uh, an investor in high-growth uh, tech-enabled business. Uh, welcome, Nena. Then Lisa Thomas. Um, Lisa is a founder and CEO of uh, Satama Capital. She's uh, based out of uh, Nairobi. Um, she has 15 years' experience in private equity in Africa. Um, she's currently in Chicago uh, because of the lockdown, and uh, she, she's raising a $60 million uh, female-led tech uh, VC fund. So she's going to be able to talk to us about the challenges around that in this period. Then we have the uh, legendary Maurizio Caio, who is a founder and managing partner at TLCom Capital. Um, Maurizio is Italian. He's based uh, normally in, in uh, Nairobi, um, currently in London. Um, Mauricio has an incredible career, has graduated from uh, Bocconi in Italy, Stanford, has had an extensive experience at McKinsey, um, Bain and & Company, and he started in 1999 Telecom as a, as a VC fund focused on Europe, Israel, and then they turned to Africa eight years ago, and I'm sure Mauricio will have amazing insights to share with us on the impact. Uh, Khaled Benjelani, uh, who is a senior partner at Africa Invest, the very uh, knowledgeable of this uh, African powerhouse, uh, African Invest. Everybody knows $1.5 billion asset under management, nine offices. They've done over 160 investments uh, in Africa, uh, mainly in private equity, but they have an increasing interest in, uh, in a VC. So he's based in Tunis and he'll talk to us about uh, the perspective from African Invest. And, and last but not least, we have Wale Ayeni. Uh, with uh, leading Africa VC uh, at uh, International Finance Corporation, the investment arm of the World Bank. He spent a lot of years in, in Nigeria. He's currently based in, in Washington, D.C. And he's uh, Africa's, one of Africa's most knowledgeable investors. Uh, he's been on deals like Cobos 360, Africa Stoking, or Paystack. So amazing insights from Wale. So welcome, everyone. Um, I'd like to jump in the debate. And... Um, Let's first talk about the state of the, of the VC Africa nation three months into lockdown. From the report, we've seen that we've been on a four-year trend of increased VC investment, almost doubling every year since 2016. 
depending on reports uh, between 1.4 to 2 billion dollars project reports for 2019. Africa Arena, which is a, a premier deal flow platform on the continent to bridge uh, founders and investors was predicting in its report earlier this year that the COVID-19 impact would result in a 40% drop in VC investment in 2020 and a long-term impact uh, with a couple of scenarios. I'd like to, we also see that, and that was clear in the, in the AFCA report, that the seed and under series A sector attracts very tiny portion of investment with on average three months of cash on hand, will the early stage uh, cluster of small early stage startups survive COVID-19? I'd like to, to turn to Maurizio uh, and ask Maurizio what is his, uh, his view on, on that and those questions. Um, over to you, Maurizio. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Christophe, and thank everyone. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the impact of COVID-19 is widely exaggerated, as uh, they used to say about other stuff. Um, it is possible that new funds may encounter some um, difficulties in raising, but uh, to be honest, we're seeing new funds being closed, and I think that, um, to be practical, DFI still uh, dominates the fundraising um, uh, field for Africa VC, and uh, uh, we see them behaving very rationally and very supportive to the GPs and to the teams and to the companies. So uh, let's see what happens on new funds. But when it comes to existing funds, it really depends on the manager, so it depends on us. And uh, so I don't think that we should uh, see a decrease in investments uh, and not even in seeds. Uh, this is a long-term game. Uh, of course, there's anxiety on the portfolio. Of course, there's a peak of attention to supporting existing portfolio to try out the new investments. But, um, you know, the fundamental questions do not change. The attractiveness of the market, the ability of companies to serve those markets, the investment terms. So when we ask those questions, we still get very attractive answers. So I do not think that COVID will result in a slowdown of investment if the managers uh, don't panic and continue to go for the long term. This is not about how many companies you lose. It's about the magnitude of the winners. And so it would be a fatal mistake to focus exclusively on the uh, protection of the existing portfolio. And so I think it is a matter of which risk do you decide to mitigate and how do you support your companies to pick the right risk. I think the wrong risk to mitigate is the short-term uh, anxiety. That is the wrong risk to mitigate. The, the, is the long-term success, right? So we should continue to take a high level of risk. We receive capital to pursue high risk, high return. And so we should continue to expose ourselves to high risk in terms of the spaces that are most attractive, the entrepreneur that, that can capture those upside. And, uh, you know, COVID amplifies many things, amplifies new opportunities in the digital space, amplifies crises in companies that are weaker, and uh, it's a way of seeing the market uh, working in an accelerated way. So uh, I would say it's a duty to uh, focus on the portfolio, but it would be a, a tragedy to stop investing in new companies because when we step back and we look at the 10-year life of the fund, uh, COVID is going to be something that will have an impact for a number of years, but we need to continue to create portfolios of high risk, high return 
So uh, more of a prediction, I guess, that this is an invitation to uh, myself and to fellow VCs uh, to continue to be exposed to the right risks um, and to continue to deploy capital, uh, because that is uh, what we need to do, and to ignore excessive anxiety on the short-term blips of the impact of COVID. Great insight, Maurizio. It's really good to hear and inspiring that uh, you're in it for the long term and therefore, uh, you know, we should continue to invest uh, even maybe more aggressively. Mena, um, do you concur with Maurizio? Do you have a different view? What is the what is your view on, uh, on, on Tigam's perspective? Are you in the anxiety uh, phase or are you aggressively looking at a new... Uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Christoph. And uh, um, I, I think I want to piggyback on Maurizio's uh, comment. Um, you know, COVID-19 has definitely uh, amplified um, both the, the opportunities in terms of, of um, having the opportunity to, to put money in businesses and that, that sort of benefit from the digital acceleration that we see, and also amplified um, potentially weaker business models and, and companies. Um, I think he is uh, also correct in saying that, you know, largely VC is about, um, you know, asymmetric risk. And so we are looking for the high risk, high return um, opportunities. But I would just point out that for, um, for some, I think that um, we should also be aware that it may be, may require a change for people to evaluate some of these opportunities. So it may just take longer for people to get the same amount of comfort in assessing the possibility. And this is sort of where I was toying with my words, um, because sometimes in BC you're looking at markets that don't yet exist and you're trying to understand how big they are. But uh, um, the process through which each VC evaluates or tries to um, make that assessment and make a subsequent decision to invest or not invest may require um, some adaptation since we, you know, we're not traveling right now. Um, but, but largely, um, I agree. Um, I think it's just a matter of, of time. I think speaking specifically to your point about, um, you know, smaller um, seed rounds and opportunities, I mean, those are opportunities where there probably wasn't much information uh, uh, before COVID. So, you know, counterintuitively, um, it shouldn't be easier uh, for venture capitalists, GPs like us, to make up our minds in, in earlier stage businesses rather than late stage ones where there's more traction and points. And I'll stop there. Thanks very much, Nena. Uh, that, that's very interesting uh, to hear as well. Uh, if we turn into what Maurizio says about um, closing new funds and raising capital, there's a lot of anxiety out there for, for many GPs. Um, you're raising, Lisa, a, a new female-led fund focusing on early stage, so you're kind of the sort of highest risk and most difficult challenge uh, in, a, in a continent where there's a, you know, not enough uh, female entrepreneurs and fund managers. What is your perspective on this issue and also on the, on the fundraising side? If you can talk to us about that. Sure. So first, let me provide a, a little bit more context. So we're a gender smart fund. So we invest in female companies, but also gender diverse teams and companies that are focusing on the female consumer. So it's a, it's a bit more of a spectrum. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we invest in early stage companies that pretty high risk. There's also perception of risk that is, uh, in our opinion, pretty unfounded around female founders. 
But so we get lumped into that category, that high-risk category for uh, funders when they're looking at us, um, particularly when you're, you're looking at venture in Africa with the gender lens and then layer on top of that uh, an emerging manager team. And so I think uh, a lot of the fundraising conversations that we were having were put on pause. And so, uh, they, you know, a lot of a lot of the DFIs in particular that we were talking to have retrenched. Oh, we need to take a look and see what's going on in our portfolio right now. Um, and then I think come back to us, you know, later in the year when this has been this up a little bit. So for us, we're taking this as an opportunity to just continue to identify pipelines, continue to do deals. We just closed another deal on Monday. Um, but, you know, just really uh, address all the different things that you never have time for, updating your pitch deck, updating your website, some of these things, so that um, as the fundraising environment comes back, we're, we're ready to get out there. And I think the other thing that we're doing, and we're seeing this among other fund managers as well, is starting to identify uh, what other avenues to be pursuing. It was already mentioned that, that the advice do tend to fund a lot. Uh, of the funds that are coming into uh, in, onto the continent, but that doesn't mean that they're the only ones. And so, taking a look at, at some of that broader perspective, who's more interested now because of how COVID-19 has affected uh, various uh, markets to perhaps take a look at, at, at gender lens investing or other types of impact investing? So the bottom line is, if we had more money coming into these companies from the beginning, and into and into the African ecosystem from the beginning, a lot of the companies that may not make it to this crisis would have been in a much better position. And so, kind of making that argument that this is this is really people's opportunity to really come and explore. Great. So we amplify the opportunity uh, and not just the challenge. Um, Looking back at a broader context that was highlighted in the Africa report and also mentioned in the Africa Arena report. Um, you know, we look at the future and it definitely, it felt for a couple of weeks that uh, there was no longer really a future or the future was vastly different, but the future might not be what it used to be, but it's going to be different. And, and I want to talk about how uh, COVID-19 is going to change your investment practice in terms of the sector, the geography, the maturity. Um, Mauricio says, you know, everything is amplified, so which means that there's amplified opportunity uh, what are your views on that? Um, Khaled, um, you, know, you, you know, we've talked about Africa still being 1% of the global VC investment. Do you see that this is going to change things and, and how do you relate to those different points we made? Uh, that's not a simple one, but uh, if, you look at, if you look at the way, um, uh, the way African VC investments have been evolving for the past six years with, uh, with the compounding growth of 40%, I think, uh, even if, even if, uh, 2020, 2021 will probably be down years, I think that has resulted in Africa being put on the weather screen for most of the big, uh, most of the, uh, uh, big investments. Things are happening. Um, uh, there is more and more, uh, big fundraise, uh, that are hitting the news. Uh, and I think that, that dynamic will probably, uh, lead to, uh, to more, uh, uh, investors, uh, uh coming. Um, but it's true that the past the past uh, eight to ten weeks have been have been difficult piece in terms of uh, trying to find new benchmarks and trying to also uh, try to understand where we should uh, should be investing. 
Um, the first, the first consequence on, on, on ourselves is that because we have uh, less time in traveling uh, from a country to another and more time at the office, that we, we, we look more closely at, at anything that is being sent to us and we, we, we go much deeper into the details and so we end up paying much more attention to the, to the numbers. And so concretely, uh, uh, we, we become in a way a more uh, um, selective on the basis of actual results. I think that, that, that has been the main, the main consequence, specifically on things like revenues, cost margins, and, 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 and also the, the, the eternal arbitrage that basically, uh, uh, um, that, that entrepreneurs will, will have to make between scaling, uh, uh, as much as possible versus reaching, uh, break even and, and becoming profitable. And in these times, we, we probably would lean to basically uh, uh, companies where we see the end of the tunnel from 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 a, from a, a loss making standpoint. So doesn't mean that scaling up is not important anymore. Uh, it is still, uh, uh, but but we would be uh, less inclined basically to invest in a company that is still need uh, three to four rounds to reach uh, to reach uh, to reach its own break even point. That's that's from the from the uh, uh, from the uh, from the way we would qualify basically the risk taken on on on, on our investment. From a, from a sector standpoint, though, um, there has been some changes. No major ones at the top. At the top, fintech is still most of what we we are looking at. Probably 40% of our pipeline is, uh, is fintech, and I think COVID has actually probably accelerated uh, some of the good fintech startups and the good fintech opportunities on the market. Um, logistics has uh, obviously been impacted uh, uh, given the lockdown, uh, but still has a very strong potential. We see very keen to look at uh, to look at that. Same with e-commerce. Um, same with digital content. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the obvious one. Uh, um, we, we were looking at some opportunities in the, in the travel space. Uh, obviously, they're all being delayed or dead at this, uh, at this stage. Doesn't mean that you will not be coming back. We see a very interesting startup in, in, in Kenya, piloting from, uh, channel management from, for, for hotels with, uh, with the 1200 hotels on the database and they'll be using the same database basically to uh, go and do some, uh, cloud, uh, and dark uh, uh, kitchen uh, approach using the kitchens in those, those those hotels. So there's still good opportunities and and and, and good entrepreneurs. I think not stop uh, uh, innovating there. Then uh, one of the biggest opportunities that exists on the continent is, is mobility. That's one on the shorter term we think uh, is one of the hardest hits on the continent. Uh, but on the longer run, it's probably one of the opportunities that we develop. So 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 the the, the picture is not uh, is not. Uh, it's not homogeneous, obviously, uh, but but we we we've been trying to look at, at at the whole thing. And on the past five to six weeks, we've had a, a pipeline that has been accelerating in, in all of these uh, of these uh, of these verticals. So uh, so things are are moving up again. Thanks, Khaled. So it's like a different perspective from from what we've heard so far, and interesting insights in terms of which sector are getting your attention. Uh, but you seem to remain quite optimistic in a in a medium to long term. Uh, Wale, do you, uh, do you concur with Khaled? Do you have a different view with the IFC uh, and World Bank perspective on, on this thing? Uh, you've been investing in some of the most prominent um, fintech on the continent, like uh, Pestac uh, or, Africa Stok or Africa Stoking. What is your view on, on these issues of um, change in investment practice in terms of sector maturity or even geography? Uh, thanks, Christopher, uh, and thanks for uh, having me on this panel. I think the, the one or two things I wanted to say about that, just from what all the speakers have said, is that uh, 
Uh, venture capital is kind of a long-term game. Uh, I mean, uh, most of the things we invest in are eight years, and actually it's getting longer and longer. Most people hold these assets for up to 14 years now. And 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 just in, in kind of our perspective in the asset class that is called venture capital, it's an asset class that it is ex- expanding, right? So, you know, it started in Silicon Valley like a long time ago, but it's, you know, it expanded to China, uh, Israel, Latin America, Africa, early stages now. But 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 if you look at the long-term horizon of the asset class, it's going to be on the up and up. Are we going to have bumps along the way? Uh, sure. Uh, actually, if you ask uh, any investor, we've had about 10 years of, expansion we were due for a correction uh so yeah so we'll have a, a blitz along the way but but i don't think it changes our view on kind of the asset class per se this is, this is why i think uh, the asset class will, will thrive uh long term uh and then to your uh, question about macro trends uh kind of our view is 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 is, is uh the asset class is about predicting the future and, and i think what most investors will look at uh, in, this perspe- in, in this realm is how does COVID uh, change human behavior and are there investable things that we can uh, glean from there and invest, right? So if you look at the last crisis we had in 2008, 2010, a lot of the startups that got started there, that was actually the launch of the gig economy, the sharing economy, things like uh, things like Slack, uh, things like Uber, things like Airbnb launched around that time. Uh, so so and that was a trend that 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 that, that crisis uh, started per se. Uh, this crisis is obviously affecting how people uh, go to the office, their relationship with their home, uh, how they do work. Uh, so, so just spending time to understand what those changes are going to be and what sectors could be winners from there. Uh, the key thing that 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 you know I like to tease out a lot of time when I talk to a lot of people in venture capital, particularly in the West, is that uh, when we're talking about global macro trends, some of them don't directly relay into Africa. So you got to spend time understanding the COVID context to Africa and what are the African trends that can come out from there. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time on fintech because you know before you can do anything in Africa, you know people need to be able to transact digitally. So that has to be solved before you can build things on top of it. And that's going to you know, vary from like a Kenya that has M-Pesa where you don't really have serious fintechs versus like big countries like Nigeria and Ethiopia where you know, they still have to solve the fintech issues. So from a sector perspective, uh, I, I think the, the, the sectors that have always been there, fintech, e-logistics, uh, 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 you know, mobility, those are sectors that that at least if you're doing uh, mid to late stage, will always be there. Uh, but for seed investors, uh, I mean, the uh, the encouragement is to look at the trends that can evolve from now because the seed guys are supposed to be the most disruptive guys. And, and what are the new things that Africa can do better uh, and, and how they, can they capture the impact of COVID to really uh, launch new type of uh, trends versus waiting for some of these trends to be launched in the West and then, you know, uh, translating it down 10 years after to Africa. So, 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 so uh, to, to, to end here, I just think that uh, uh, COVID is going to impact what we see that are scalable in the future. Uh, a lot of investors, uh, in the, particularly in the early stage, 
uh, the ones that get it right will be the ones that identify the trends first before they become public trends. And then for later stage investors like ours, it's more like scaling what the early stage investors have identified. Uh, you know, like I, I encourage a bunch of seed stage investors, you know, we don't really need 100 fintech startups in Nigeria. I mean, you got to solve other problems as well. Uh, so, so particularly in the earlier stage. So, so hopefully uh, COVID will highlight some of these opportunities and, 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 and early stage investors will will jump on them. But 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 on the long term view, I think the asset class in Africa, although nascent today, I think the trajectory is going to keep going up. Great to hear as well. Um, thank you, uh, Wale, for this uh, insight. Um, if we now move from, you know, what uh, it changes in terms of what we invest in and, and the sector, um, let's talk about how we make investments and whether um, COVID-19 is going to have an impact on uh, things like the regulation or regulatory framework around the continent. Um, I'd like to start with you, Lisa. Um, you know, you were mentioning, I mean, now you're in Chicago and making deals uh, without being able to go to great conferences or, or, or just to travel and visit the startup and find a deal flow. Um, what, what, what do you think is going to change to the way you, you're going to invest? Does it mean more co-investment, relying on more uh, other local investors to, to co-invest with? Um, give us your views on that. Uh, and that particular question, it, it burns a little bit. I think it was yesterday the European country said that U.S. is on a blacklist for now. <laughs> I can't even leave the country. Um, so, so yeah, I think, and I think this is something um, that could possibly come out of, of, of this pandemic as well, is that we should have been collaborating more. So we should have been uh, working with more co-investors in the individual countries uh, that, that we want to be in. Uh, so finding these trusted partners where um, uh, we can form that alongside them for interesting opportunities. And for us, because we look beyond tech as well, we're in, we're in a number of different industry sectors. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of folks who are, you know, I'm based in Nairobi, but we also um, invest in West Africa. Uh, being able to partner with different funds that are based in Nigeria or Ghana and, and have that level of trust to do these deals that are potentially shared due diligence, which also to some extent could mitigate, mitigate costs, often mitigate risk, uh, and bring additional um, uh, additional skills to the table that can really help those companies. I think we should be doubling down on that as much as possible. And so utilizing those networks. But beyond that, too, for doing due diligence, we may be in and out of you know, these quarantines for some time until there's a vaccine. So we're not necessarily even going to be able to, even if you're in country, be able to meet these entrepreneurs go through their operations. So how do we change the way we think about due diligence? And so I've been doing a lot more of these Zoom calls and et cetera. But also, you know, going back and, and really finding who can, who can we talk to that knows these entrepreneurs well? How do we, if we can't see founders interacting together in a room, how do we connect to other people who can give us insight into how these founders actually communicate with each other, how they actually lead their teams, and et cetera. So it's really pushing down these levers of networks and relationships to figure out how to get the information that we need to keep that happening for Thanks, great. So um, managing deal flow and, and doing deals. Um, we saw on the AFCA report that there's a big portion of the investment actually coming from the U.S. So if 
if there's a blacklisting for U.S. to travel into Africa, surely U.S. investors are going to have to rely increasingly more on local uh, investors. So, Maurizio, you, you are a very prominent investor and you're based in Kenya. Uh, do you see that as an opportunity uh, for you to actually uh, be a, a partner of, of, on some of these deals? Or, or generally speaking, how does it change your perspective on, on co-investment in a COVID-19 context? Um, no, I, I, I think that uh, this may help uh, accelerate the co-investment, but in general, venture capital is a syndication game, so uh, you need to um, always try and build the proper syndicate at different stages of an investment. And uh, uh, the fact that there's an interest from uh, U.S. investors is something that should be nurtured and protected because uh, the big picture, of course, is that uh, there's a lot more opportunities in Africa than capital uh, capable of um, financing them. So I think uh, that cooperation is always at the basis of the venture capital game. Uh, and uh, in this context, uh, it is happening already that non-African-based investors are more relying on local investors to um, to syndicate. In general, I think that the model is uh, for later stage capital to come from abroad uh, and local investors to actually having an ability of being closer to the entrepreneur and um, uh, picking, as uh, Vale was very correctly saying, uh, thinking about uh, the African reality and looking at the future from the Africa perspective. So I think that the short answer is yes, I see COVID as an opportunity to stimulate more cooperation. And uh, uh, in particular, I think the model that may be emerging is for local funds to focus on early stage and non-African capital to come in um, for uh, syndication of later stage funds. Of course, you know, different firms have different strategies. I was uh, listening to uh, Khaled that obviously African Invest has a trajectory of being a private equity fund now looking at venture and more naturally looking at the later stage of venture. So there are always uh, exceptions. But, uh, you know, when you think about uh, the fact that the fundamental question when you look at a company, so particularly at an early stage, is not what can go wrong, but how big can it be if everything works, right? So uh, that uh, question cannot be answered from the U.S. or from uh, France or from Israel or from China. It needs to be answered from Africa. So I think it's once again the responsibilities of local VCs uh, to get a view of what is the true upside of companies that need to be assessed on uh, a view of the future. So more cooperation is always welcome. We need to uh, make sure that we manage uh, collectively to bring more capital to um, to Africa. And that's not going to happen because of regulation. It's going to happen if we can deliver great exits, if we can deliver uh, you know, quality companies, if we can invest at reasonable valuation. Uh, Vale was saying venture capital has been around 70 years. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to make sure that we deliver excellence on the basics and that the world knows about it. So um, I, I think the primary responsibility is for the local VCs to really behave uh, in a mature, world class way. Excellent. Um... 
So that's that's really a, a great point uh, you you're making, Maurizio. Um, so uh, Khaled, you're you're in a country where uh, you know to 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 the point made by Maurizio, you you were the first African country to to pass an act uh, called the Tunisian Startup Act uh, as a piece of regulation to facilitate. Why is it actually needed, and uh, what was the impact of this after a year and a half? And do you believe in a post-COVID-19 environment, it's a, it's a tool? And uh, while you think about my question, um, this is the last question I will ask. Uh, I encourage the participants to bring more questions on the, on the forum um, so we can move to Q&A after your, your response, Khaled. Over to you, Khaled. I mean, a quick, uh, a quick, uh, a quick history of this, uh, of this, uh, of this tool or, or this uh, series of measures. Um, the, the, the company law and, uh, and all of the regulation that, uh, that uh, the startups have to face, uh, have to face in, in Tunisia and in lots of African countries have been, have been written in the, most of them in the 60s by, by copying this in some of the existing laws in, in, in Europe, even in the UK or in, or, or in France. Um, and so, and so we have set a law that have Evolved, but, but not as far or as fast as what is required today uh, to have a more flexible and more fluid uh, business environment, for, especially, especially for startups that are trying to, to, uh, to innovate. And so we thought that uh, it is needed to, to, to review that and to uh, both make the life of entrepreneur more uh, simpler uh, and at the same time create incentives for both investors, entrepreneurs, and, and make the, the, the whole journey of being an entrepreneur a bit, uh, a bit, uh, a bit easier. So we mapped. Uh, it, this has been a complete bottom-up process. Now we didn't bring any any of the big uh, firms or anything. We just gathered a, a, a large group of 100 uh, entrepreneurs listening to their, their stories. And their, some of the stories were horror stories, and mapped uh, 300 points that basically could be implemented. We structured this uh, uh, with a series of, uh, of uh, let's say, 30 big measures. And categorize them with anything that is pre-company formation. So anything that relates to people leaving their jobs, uh, people being able to become entrepreneurs coming out of the public sector, the private sector. Uh, there's so many laws basically that prevent sometimes this from 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 happening. The company formation in a sense, and, 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 and how and this can be done in a, in a digital way, uh, completely uh, uh, online. That is something that is quite Creating uh, uh, sandbox policies in, in different uh, different sectors that are over-regulated. Then the growth of the financing becomes uh, becomes important. So creating incentives for investors to invest in specifically in countries where corporates and uh, and uh, and high uh, net worth invest only very few uh, amount of money into the startups. So creating the right incentive scheme often is a fiscal incentive that we just to simplify. And, and last but not least, company liquidation. In, in several countries in Tunisia, when you liquidate a company, you end up in a blacklist. And so for like two, three, four, five years, you cannot create another company. While, while the, 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 the cycle of, uh, of entrepreneurs is, is, is to, to keep trying, uh, rather than, uh, and, and, and succeeding maybe once uh, in a while. And, and this uh, system where basically you're being, uh, you're being automatically participating to liquidate a company is, is something that is, uh, uh, killing basically the, the spirit of innovation technology. So that's basically what what we've been doing. It's taken a team month of process uh, from from start to, 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 to finish, and now we have a process where basically we're providing labels to new startups uh, and providing them with the, with advantage. Finally, the last advantage that I've been mentioning is capital uh, um, uh, capital uh, traveling from a country to another. We Africa is 54 countries. Uh, uh, 
and and every single of these countries has very strict uh, foreign exchange uh, regulation that is preventing capital to come from countries in another. While each one of these countries, maybe with the exception of Nigeria and uh, and Egypt and Turkey and South Africa, is a very small market for itself. Uh, it's a market that is not even the size of the city like Washington DC New York. And so if you imagine a company that did not travel outside of just the state in the US or, or, or a city in the in, in, in Europe, uh, that, that would be unbelievable. But this is exactly what what the restriction that this regulation has put on companies not being able to basically uh, take their, their capital out and invest outside to basically create space. And so these are all of the points that we try to uh, tackle one by one and offer more uh, flexibility to entrepreneurs. Uh, so overall, a rather positive move, in your opinion, as an investor. Uh, on the point that uh, Khaled just made, and, and contradicting a bit uh, on the on the on some of the ideas of Mauricio, that regulation is not the key. Uh, we've been doing VC for 70 years. Let's uh, let's focus on the essentials. Um, in South Africa, we know that uh, capital control and IT is is an issue in terms of regulation. Uh, Wale, from a, from a late-stage investor, do you see that regulation has little to play to enable a, a reinvestment plan to Africa and facilitate more investors to come on the continent? And on the topic of co-investment, um, what, what is your view on, on a post-COVID-19 environment? Yeah, I'll start this first question on, on, on kind of the co-investment thing. I think... Uh, I think I totally agree with with Mauricio on that. Unlike private equity, where most of the deals are majority investments, venture capital is mostly minor, minority type investments, and it is a syndication type of effort. Whether you're early stage or late stage, uh, you just need to decide which partners you want to bring on the table to make sure they're adding value to your portfolio company. It's always going to be like that. Uh, so, so there's a lot of collaboration in kind of the venture space globally. And I think uh, it will be good that if that kind of practice is, uh, also happens in Africa, but but that's kind of quintessential in venture capital. On the on the question of uh, regulation, I, I think I actually agree with both speakers. I, I don't think it's either or. I think regulation is a moving target. Uh, I don't think regulation is going to suddenly open up the whole space for investment. On the other hand, I also think that in some you know particular spaces the ability to influence the regulators to not do things that are harmful to the startup ecosystem is key. And when you look at fintech, you know, people think fintech is just tech, but but the key of fintech is actually understanding regulation in country uh, and seeing potentially if you can, if you have a pan-African play to harmonize regulation across Africa from a scaling perspective. So, 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 so I think it goes hand in hand. Uh, the one thing I'll add from a regulatory perspective, and I think and this is kind of my view that I actually think it helps regulation, is, 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 is the involvement of local capital. Uh, and, and what I mean by local capital is, is African pension funds and, and African corporates should, should be encouraged or should be pushed to really invest in venture capital because then they have skin in the game. And when they have skin in the game, you have allies that help shape the regulation in each country. And, and I think uh, uh, most of the venture capital spaces, whether it was, that was in Israel, whether that's in Latin America, whether that's in China, whether that's in the U.S., it was because there was a reform act for pension funds that forced the pension funds to really invest in alternative assets. Uh, so, so I think that's actually very important from a regulatory perspective because you need allies that have skin in the game and that have a voice that, that can 
health ship regulation and it's aligned with the venture ecosystem as well. This is a great point, Wale, and, and in fact, we have a question uh, on that um, regarding the, the future of, of this asset class and corporates and the role of corporates in Africa. We, now I was discussing with uh, um, some uh, people at F6S uh, yesterday, and they were telling me that you know Africa represents one um, percent of the revenue in terms of looking for for startup deals. Uh, so clearly, the corporate VC uh, hasn't really yet embraced uh, uh, investment in Africa, and so there's definitely a huge opportunity there to do uh, to attract more. Um, Nena, you, you've uh, you've had a corporate experience. Uh, what is your view on, on the role of, of corporate venture firm and, and in a syndication environment, what role can they play to, to foster some deal or maybe help with the exit? You know, corporates can, can buy at a stage and a bit exit for many of us. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I was saying that, um, you know, at least from where I sit, you know, we are, are in terms of our expectations, we are um, biased in favor of sort of Strategic exits versus IPOs, um, and for, for that reason, you know, uh, as part of our investment process at, at, at Digital Growth Africa, we we definitely focus on um, partnerships and relationships both from local and international strategics um, that we hope will eventually lead to exit relationships. I think with respect to co-investment in terms of uh, participation in the cap table, and also potentially with uh, or as limited partners to funds, um, you know, we're seeing an increase. But I would say that the engagement, especially on the international side, um, of large corporates with Africa is, is, you know, similar to the level of engagement of institutional capital in Africa. It, you know, it's underallocated by and large by many global uh, corporate, so that um, you know, while we definitely are seeing an increase in in sort of corporate activity, um, you know, I, I, a lot of corporate trips not focused on Africa from, uh, from a dollar perspective. You know, there's still sufficient growth to be had um, in other parts of the world, and so um, you know, I think I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm I'm opportunistic, but um, you know, I think that um, this is an area where there there are different points on the value chain where we can work to increase their participation and hopefully increase um, positive outcomes. Okay. Um, on, on the point of, uh, of the role of corporate VCs on, on the continent and, and, and as part of the syndication of deals or as part of an exit strategy, um, I'd like to, to conclude, and it's our last question, with, with Maurizio. Uh, Maurizio, what's, what's your view on that and, and the role of corporate VC? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll try to be a little bit uh, black and white to stimulate maybe some reactions. Um, so when I look at venture capital funds, I observe that we don't manufacture cars, we don't sell soap, we don't run companies. Uh, so it's not to see companies that actually uh, think they are venture capital firms. So uh, I think in general, the global track record of corporate venture is not great. The way for them to bridge the funding gap is actually to invest in funds, uh, just like uh, uh, Wale was uh, uh, suggesting. And the way they can really support and benefit from the venture capital is to, you know, 
buy products from startups and buy startups because as we know innovation does not happen in large companies and so they need to strategically think about what they can do internally and what they outsource in so to speak and what part of the innovation and r d process they can outsource so my uh, extreme view that is a lot more nuanced but otherwise we get for sure let's try to have some fun is to say don't invest directly invest in funds but rather look at the startup environment as a source of innovation so be curious buy the products and services become clients become revenues of these companies and buy them when you realize that there are some innovative platforms innovative tools that will never be uh, able to develop internally or to buy from IBM. So my, my view is to say there's a gigantic role that corporates can play as investors in fund, as clients and capital companies, and as uh, exit uh, buyers of resources, skilled people, new products, market share. So that's my, my view. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a very good uh, view to uh, think and, and finish this webinar on in terms of the uh, potential uh, increased role of uh in the future. So thank you very much. I'd like to um, give a warm thank you to our five amazing panelists for today. Uh, I think we, we really got a very insight, uh, a lot of insights and very interesting view on different topics of the impact of COVID-19 on the VC class in Africa. The, the mood seems to be uh, optimistic and that uh, after a little bump in uh, for one or two quarters, uh, we're actually uh, going to have a, a, an exciting future ahead of us. We'll change the way the future looks like, but it certainly uh, remains a bit for Africa. For listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.